Blog Talk Radio. to Vibe Time with Jerry and Open Mic Night. So we will see who comes on and who doesn't. Any hair, let me get started here because, as usual, something always has to act up on Facebook. So let me see where I'm at with this. Ah, it always goes, for some reason, no matter what I set it to, it always goes to private instead of public. So anyway few announcements to make. I'll keep checking the um, the on-air button, too. But a few announcements to make. Virginia Paranormal Events page. If y'all have not gone and liked that page, please go and like it. Hi, John Savage. How are you? Hi, David Flowers. How are you? I was saying that if anybody wants to... Um, know what the latest events are for paranormal, you got to go to Virginia Paranormal Events, um, which is on Facebook. I can't talk. And then you have to go to VirginiaParanormalEvents.com, www.VirginiaParanormalEvents.com, oh, my gosh, to figure out what all the other events are. I hope you're doing okay. Don't get mad at me. It's Yet again, I have not been able to make it to Fort Monroe. Time flies like, okay, I got to mom's, and then she just out of the blue wanted to go to the manor house. So I was like, okay, I'll take you there. And I ended up taking um, taking her and Hector there last night. So they went on that tour. And then, like, if I want to come out to Fort Monroe, I'd prefer to come out, like, more towards the nighttime. I mean, I've got all I need of stuff sitting right here in my bag. I ought to just leave it here. Um I know, but I really want to go out there. And then my mom was like, well, why don't you go out there this afternoon? And I was like, because I have a show to do. And I knew that I wouldn't be back on time. But what I should have done, what I should have done is I should have just done the show there, dumbass. You see things click with me at the last minute. No, I'm serious. Time just, like, flies by when I'm here. Like, you know, I got here Sunday. And I'm already having to leave tomorrow to go back. Hi, John, Kobe, how are you? So anyway, time just gets the best of me when I'm down here, but I swear I got all I need of stuff here. So 
I know it's all good, but I would like to be able to get a chance to go to Fort Monroe because when I'm here, I'm not that far from it. And it just would be nice to come there. And I've had Anita stuff sitting on my bag, it seems like, for 10,000 years. Like I've had it, I've had it with me for two trips now, coming to the city of Newport News, the city of Newport News. So anyway, um, can I say something, David Flowers? Are you on here still? Because I want to know, can I can I do my little announcement thing with the flyer and not get in trouble? Can you put in there if it's okay or not? I know she said it's all good. I knew she would say that. Okay, cool. But I don't want to, I want to be able to see her too, so it's not all good to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I know what you mean. But, yeah, this is, like, trip number three. I just need to, like, put it on my schedule and just make it a point to do it. We just got sidetracked with a bunch of stuff. Oh, so David Flowers and I are going to start doing – I'm going to start helping – let me rephrase all that. I'm going to start helping David Flowers with his tours at the Manor House. And those tours are – Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday nights, they start at seven, 9 o'clock. Oh, God, I almost messed that one up. <laughs> 9 o'clock, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday. God dang. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. You can tell this is an unedited show, right? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays starting at 9 o'clock. Don't kill me, David. I'm sorry. Um, tickets are 15 bucks, okay? So that is very, very reasonable. <laughs> that is very reasonable compared to, you know, other places or, yeah, compared to other places, I would say it's very reasonable. Um, so let me explain it to you. you got to call the activities desk, which is 757-220-1200. You call the activities desk. You, um, I know, I just messed it up. You call the activities desk and you reserve your spot. You pay. They'll take your credit card information over the phone and then you pay. It's Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Starts at 9 p.m. It's at Powhatan Resorts in Williamsburg, Virginia. And it's the Manor House. So you pay for your tickets. I know I messed that up. I'm sorry. I fixed it. So you pay for your tickets. You call the activities desk. And then when you're driving and you get to the gate, I know I said Saturday night. Um, when you're driving, you get when you're driving, you get to the gate, and then you just tell them that you're going to the manor house. Three six zero one Ironbound Road. You know I left that off. Sorry. I'm going to have to um, fix that. Um, so it's 3601 Ironbound Road. And then what happens is when you get there and you get to the manor house, we'll start a tour. And I'm still working on my lines because, you know, I have a been practicing what I want to say. He's got it all written out so nice for me, and I'm just like, it's funny when he does the tour and I'm listening to him. I can almost verbatim say what I in my head what I'm supposed to say, but it's not always going to come out of my mouth like that. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so we're going to have fun with that. 
you can't just do things with just anybody either. Like there are certain people that I'll do things with and there are certain people I'm not sure that I would, I don't know if I would, some, there are some people sometimes I don't feel very comfortable with and I'm not trying to start anything when I say that, but you got to trust people that you're investigating with, if that makes sense. Um, the other thing before I, I because I don't want to forget, my home team, yeah, doesn't always come out of my mouth. Yeah, I know. it's The struggle is real. What I was thinking about doing was taking the presentation and then, like, cutting some of the paragraphs because I printed it and then I wanted to laminate it and then have the cards like as a flip card as I go because when I had to do the trolley tour out in Urbana, those were some big shoes to fill. I had to take Larry Tuning's place and he's our town historian. So when I did the trolley tour, I did it like that. I laminated everything. I put it on cards and then I, you know, was able to flip through and it just made it so much easier for me so uh, what I'll probably do is stop off at some printing place or fix it to where um, I can do can do the cards like that just to make my life easier. But um, anyway, the home team I have, y'all, I have a home team. I am a part of CROP, but I have a home team out in New Jersey. That's the first team I've ever been with. I've been a member with them since, I want to say, 2014, I believe. Um, it is New Jersey Rope. They are based out of New Jersey. I think they're in Gloucester, New Jersey. Anyway, their page is NJ Rope. If y'all don't mind going and liking their page, that would be great. They also have a online store because I, I told Frank Lazaro, he's the, um, the founder of New, um, New Jersey Rope. They have a store. It's, called, it's on www.njrope.com. And if you go on to that, their website, you'll see where it says um, Depot. I think it's um, – let me go on here real quick so that y'all will know exactly where to go. They actually have a store uh, where you can purchase stuff at, and it's really cool. And he's getting ready to add a bunch of stuff. Yeah, even I will use cards, yeah. Yeah, I've got to I've got to get these cards the way I want them, and I mean it's just like anything else when you're, um, you know, starting out with something just like with the museum. Hi, Steve White, how are you? Um, just like uh, starting the job at the museum, having to give the tours of the museum, the history of the building, the John Mitchell map which is out there. You had to, you know, there are certain things that they want you to say, so I had to kind of put everything on note cards because that's the way I know how to do it. So that's what I'm going to kind of do with this tour, and then I'll feel more comfortable with it. It's just like anything else. Once you get comfortable, you'll, you know, you'll pick it up, and then it come, becomes second nature. But if you go to New Jersey Rope, it's NJ Rope, www.njrope.com, and you go on their website and you scroll all the way down to NJ Rope Depot, that is the store that they have online where you can purchase certain things at. Um, you know, they're a really good team. They're very organized. When I first met them, I was very in tune to them because the way they did things was differently than some of the things that I've seen uh, with other teams. They're just very, 
there's reports that have to be written. There are certain people that are assigned, you know, certain team members that have certain reports that they have to review, paperwork, interviews, and things like that. They don't just go out and investigate a home like some places do. They're just real organized. I'm not trying to step on toes or be rude about anybody. That's just a very organized team, but they're based out of New Jersey. So um, they're my original, like I said, home team. So, you know, if you could go like their page, that would be great. Anybody want to talk about anything special, John Savage? Did you want to, like, call in and, you know, talk about stuff at Fort Monroe? I mean, anybody has can call in and talk about, you know, maybe experiences out there or what have you been doing lately? Steve White, y'all are more than welcome to call into the switchboard. Just when you do it, just make sure you got the little hand up so that I can know who it is that's out here that I'll be talking to. Normally my sister's on here. I'm trying to figure out where she's at. I ain't heard from her in days. Maybe I should, like, call her and see what's up. <laughs> I have to call her later because if not, I'm going to get ready to pull some cards um, I, that's the other thing. I got to look at the paranormal roundtable. I got to, I, I want to do the paranormal roundtable. I just, you know, I mean, I want to know what, what is it that we want to talk about at the paranormal roundtable. I would love to do the paranormal roundtable. Sounds good to me. I mean, I've got, right now, I think I'm booked through, I don't even have a calendar. I think I'm booked through April. I'm not sure. Let me look. I think I'm booked all the way through April. All right, so it would have to be in May. Somewhere in May we would be able to do that because there's like one, two, three, four, five Tuesdays in a May. All right, so pick one subject. We can do the round table right now if you wanted to. What subject do we? Let's talk about orbs. Vapor flowers favorite. <laughs> We could talk about dust orbs. Orbs. Does anybody want to call in to the number, the switchboard, and we can discuss orbs? The switchboard number is four. Wait, five one six three eight seven nineteen twenty two. If not, I'm going to be pulling cards. Or. We can discuss paranormal orbs. If somebody wants a card pulled, they better be putting it down in the comments because I won't know. I mean, they're all nice and smudged, ready to go. I've got cards from the soul. That's Vanessa Hogel's deck. And then I have my spirit deck. So those are all ready to go. I'm going to tell you something. My stomach was growling last night and it's growling again tonight. So if you heard that on the recording... Yeah, I mean, but you know what? I kind of, I, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to say with David Flowers on the, because John Savage is saying let's talk about orbs. That's a good fight that we could get into. I kind of agree with David Flowers when he says that it admit, it, it um, emits its own light. What are your thoughts on that? Because you know, some people would not agree with that. And at first, I was like, yeah, okay. But you know what, the more I think about it and the more I look at that excellent orb footage she has, the more I'm kind of believing that. And um, when I took some pictures out at Old House Woods and I caught those two orbs 
within the tree, they gave off their own light. Jack White, how are you, hon? You didn't miss anything. We were on the subject of orbs. We were talking about orbs, and it is open mic night. Um, oh, I got a little hand. Yay! Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Hello. <laughs> are we talking about orbs? I didn't need my computer. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Are we going to talk about orbs? We're going to talk about orbs. It's dust. Dust. All For the most part, it's dust. Not all of them. You got you got moisture. You got. There are some true orbs. They're very rare, but they are out there. Gotcha. In my years, I've seen two orbs with my own eyes, and I captured one other one on video. And you you've seen that video. I have. I have. Steve White is saying that orbs are a touchy subject, but so many people mistake different particles and photos as being paranormal. Now, on the other side of this, if somebody's catching these, we will just call them light anomalies with their own eyes, then that's a different story. Yeah. And then John Savage has said when it comes to photograph orbs, I hate to tell you this, guys, most of it is just light being reflected from flash, which is very bright, luminous to begin with, and it will bounce off anything that is within a focal of the camera giving an illusion of an orb and making it bigger than what it really is. That's just from his photography standpoint of view. Your thoughts? Okay. Um, 99% of that, I agree 100% with John. But like I said, there's the ones that I've seen with my own eyes, I know that wasn't a flash, but the, the one video that I've got, right. there is no way that's flash. Right. Yeah, that one, that video that you have is a clear cut. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that with the exception of when I went to, um, when I was with New Jersey Rope, and we went to this one place and we invest, we were investigating a house and everybody saw, nobody, unfortunately, I don't think was able, to, I don't think anybody video, videoed it. I'm not sure because it was back in 2014, but it was, Everybody saw this light that was coming in and out of the place, the house that we were at. We were way, we were upstairs. It was dark. Um, but you've got excellent video footage of an orb at the manor house in the basement. Yeah. I don't, and, I don't know if anyone really Yeah, and I welcome anybody to give me some sort of explanation of what it could be other than paranormal. Right. I've, I've asked everybody that I come in contact with that, that, right. that sees that video, please tell me what you think it could be. Because I know it's not a right. man-made mm-hmm. light. 
And right. I know it's not a bug. I have no clue what it could be. Right. Well, John Savage had put that it was from the photography, but what's up with the videos? Could you? To, I want John Savage to kind of talk about that a little bit if he can, because I, yeah. I'm interested in, you know, what would somebody think of, like, the video part of it if, you know, what would be the video part of that with um, orbs or, you know, you see a lot of people that have their ring on, you know, at nighttime or you're, you're seeing more and more people posting um, videos on their ring and it looks like orbs, but what is it really yeah. or is it really? Yeah. 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 And, exactly. and I know it wasn't, no, it's, it wasn't dust. Right. That would be a big answer. It was moving one. too purposely if it to be dust. That is one big piece of dust. <laughs> and Jack, yeah. um, Jack White said it's hard to distinguish moisture and what is paranormal, and I agree with him on that too. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve White said many years back he was out in the woods and thought, wow, look at all these orbs. Well, as he got closer, they got debunked. They were fireflies, but from a distance, it looked pretty spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to us at Old House Woods. Yeah. Kimberly's not on tonight, I don't think, but that happened to us at, not Old House Woods, I'm sorry, at the Cabin on 360's Woods when we were out there, and we kept seeing these little lights on the ground, and we didn't know what they were. We thought they were like little spirits of some sort, and they turned out to be little lightning bugs. <laughs> so it was funny. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. So, yeah. But what else yeah, so that's my two cents on orbs. Alright, so we talked about orbs. I don't know if John Savage is still on or not. He normally tells me if he is or not. What other paranormal discussion can we talk about here what is something that is very controversial that's something that I want to talk about controversial stuff that you know people don't want to talk about thank you John Savage I would I wanted to know your take on orbs um, and videos that's that's what I wanted to know you're more than welcome to call in. I think I still got your number in here, so I would recognize it. Hold on, let me go in here. But see, David Flowers, that's why I like investigating with you because you're scientific. You know what I mean? Like if if, if I've like, been if, called many if, things, and scientific isn't one of them. Well, I mean, but you're you're like you're you're not a person that is going to just agree with something. Like there are people out there. Um, there are people out there that will just agree with something, even if it isn't paranormal, is what I'm trying to say. It's, and you're yeah. not that type of person. If it's not, it's not. And, you know, there are times when I've thought of something and, you're, and you give me, a, you debunk things is what I'm trying to get at. Maybe I, scientific yeah. was the wrong term, but Kimberly is that way too. That's why I like... Um, investigating with her because if it's something that's not um, she's not going to agree with me just because she's not that type of person right. and neither are you that's what I meant okay. yeah 
And, and I'm 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 the same way when it comes to shadow figures. Because yeah. a lot of times people see a shadow, and the answer isn't just right there in front of them, so it's automatically paranormal. You can't just say it's automatically paranormal. You have to go through the steps before you can say right. it's paranormal. Right, right. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. It's not, you know, you just don't... Like I said, you just don't agree with everything, and you come, you really analyze and study things before you put stuff out there. And some people just, you know, drop something out on Facebook and say, "Oh, this is paranormal," and it isn't. And there, I mean, I see it in groups yeah. all the time. Steve White said, "How about yeah, the different theories on poltergeist energies and how telekinesis might play into some of these theories?" That's true too. Telekinesis, and yeah. you know what we've talked about, all that we've talked about that. And, you know, in the beginning, Kimberly um, Moxley had brought something up about that. And I was like, nah, you know, that don't happen. But you know what? The more I um, investigate and the more people I'm around, the more I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, she is right about that because how much does that play a part in stirring things up? Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, I know you can do that one too, John Savage. I'll put the number down there for you. The number is um, 516-387-1922 and just press one so I know it's you, but I got your number sitting here. You know, but I mean that it's just, you know, that happens. Yeah, yeah. I. Personally, I've ne- as far as I know, I've never come across any poltergeist energies. Right. And I don't think I have I ain't either. smart enough. In- yeah. I'm not smart yeah, enough I don't to think totally either. understand the telekinesis thing. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> but I think that that happens. I mean, could, because you can manifest stuff. You know, when you're up here, well, that's where I look at everything is up there, you know, in the third eye. And so you can you can manifest anything you want. So do you manifest stuff, you know, or like when you're getting a bunch of people together and they're all thinking about the same thoughts or they're going into a place that is active, is it creating more activity? You know, it's a I I don't know if it's creating more activity. I think mm-hmm. it's causing people to think there's more activity. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. people there, they're getting excited, and maybe one thing does happen and just ramps up that excitement, and then people, they're getting caught into the moment and say, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, and and you're just getting overexcited. Right, right. And we've had stuff like that, like at the Pink Pearl. We've had stuff like that happen at the Pink Pearl. I call it the Pink Pearl at the Cabin on 360 where um, some people go in there and they say that that there's nothing Bardot um, because of you know, Bardoish about the Pink Pearl, but 
sometimes, like Kimberly brought up, is it everybody that has that on their mind when they go up there already, and is it manifesting that because that's already what's in your mind already? So. Yeah, and, and that, that's the reason why a lot of times I like to wait till after the investigation before I do any kind of research on the history and the claims. Right. Right. Because that way it doesn't, it isn't in my head and I might unconsciously think there's something going on when it's not. Right, right. That's true. Very true. Steve White um, said, let's talk about how people analyze their EVPs as to what they think they are saying. That's a good one, too. Oh, that's a really good one there. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk and a lot that. of people using, yeah, a lot of people using the ghost box, that, like the SB7 or the SB11, and yeah. they hear the... Um, they hear the blips of radio or the, the DJ or whatever, and they're trying to say that that was the ghost when it's not the ghost. You're trying to listen inside the white noise. Well, that was like last night at the Manor House when I ran the um, the SB7 box in the Tolliver room. I call it the Tolliver room. Was it the blue room? Is it the blue room? Oh, the, the last room on the tour? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the blue room. Um, mm-hmm. and I, at first, I thought that I had got a faint male voice, but it actually ended up being the radio, even though I had it set to AM, because I always mm-hmm. set my box to AM and not FM. Um, and I had thought I got a fake, fake male voice, but then when it came back over the radio again, when I didn't even ask anything, then I knew I had picked up a radio station. Exactly. That's weird. It shouldn't give you any voicemail. Hold on. It's 516-387-1922. Did I put the right number down there? Because, you know, I've been very ditzy today. Must have ate too many dandelions or something. Five one six three eight seven nineteen twenty two. Huh. David said I mean shit. John Savage said he tried to call in and it was it was giving him a um uh answering machine, but it shouldn't do that. Shouldn't give you any voicemail. Can you try it again? But yeah, the EVPs like I know you run yours through Audacity, Audacity, and mine won't work on the computer, but I know that if I have questions about something or if I, if I get an EVP, I'll either send it to you, and sometimes I've sent it to John Savage, and he's cleaned it up nicely for me too. He uses different types of I – don't, I don't know if he uses Audacity. He uses something else, I thought, to clean his stuff up with. So, it's five one. What is it? Five one six. Five one six. Yeah, I know. I know now. <laughs> See my memory. <laughs> don't make fun of me. I don't even remember how you introduced yourself. 
I've been on David Flowers tours. I cannot tell you how many freaking times people like a lot, okay? So I can't remember how he introduced himself, and it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just my kids that didn't listen to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh, I've been writing my whole – I've been writing my – uh number for my show wrong all this time. I've been putting 512, I think, instead of 516. Now Oops. i got to go in here and look. Yeah, now it's going to bother me. That's probably why people can't call in because I put let – me, let me go and correct myself. Now i got to sit here and multitask. Let's see if I'm capable of doing that. I sure did. I put 512. You're supposed to stay on top of this mess and catch it for me, and you missed it. That's probably why my sister's like, how come I can't get on tonight? Because I put 512 instead of 516, and I did that with everything. <laughs> how oh long have you been doing this show? I know, right? For I, I can't even tell you. Is it going to be going on two years now, I think? Oh, I see John Savage. I'm sorry, John Savage. Okay, hold on. Let me unmute you. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Trouble. How long have you been doing uh, this? <laughs> I know. It's so embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at it. It's like, wait a minute. That's not the right number. I know. You, I know. Good. And David Flannery, he corrected me one time on my stuff, too. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. How Dizzy, can you be? I really need to go dye my hair triple blonde when I go to my hair appointment on the 4th of April. Or, excuse me, the 3rd or the 1st or somewhere. I got a hair appointment in there. Yeah. I'm going to have to, you know, really color it to fit the personality right now. I hope you got that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have it all down by then. It's embarrassing. All right, so Steve White said he personally thinks a good way to analyze EVPs is to have everybody listen to it a few times, nobody say a word, and everybody write it down on paper as to what they think they're saying and compare notes and it gives you a little bit better validation possibly to what actually is being said during a playback. Too many people get pre-programmed. That's true. Hi, John Sullivan. How are you? So your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts, yeah. Savage? We've investigated together. On on EVPs and, and what have you? Yeah. Um, yeah. EVPs, orbs, all that good stuff. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Okay. You, you just throw down the gauntlet with orbs. That's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, like like the video that David has, you know, that I cannot explain. I mean, that to me is a genuine paranormal orb uh, now the problem you were talking about like people with um, those ring cameras and stuff you, you have to remember even with infrared light um, anything that's near the aperture of the camera it's going to reflect regular light and infrared light so what I usually tell people is if it looks like it's a rainstorm or a family reunion of orbs more than likely that's going to be dust or moisture in the air. It's going to be something that's going to be natural. Also, look at the pattern. 
look at the pattern of, in the movement of the anomaly. Is it generally going in somewhat of the same uh, direction? I've, I've got a video of an orb back from my old home where it comes up to my elbow, touches my elbow, stops, and makes a 90-degree turn in the opposite direction. And it, and it just kind of just goes at its own little speed, it's, and, and that was an orb. But if you look at what you, some of the stuff on uh, online, you know, they're zipping around like, you know, it's the Indy 500. That's just right. dust and natural environment um, material in the atmosphere being moved either by a ceiling fan, uh, natural air currents in the windows open, a drafty house, um, the heater being turned on. So a lot of those can be explained. But there are some out there that it's only one anomaly and it's just floating, and it stops and makes a, a turn, then stops again and makes another turn in a different direction. That's a sign of intelligence. That's a sign of, hey, you know what, I'm going to come over here. Now I'm going to come over here again. That's a haunting. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's an, a paranormal anomaly. Yeah, you can tell if it's moving with purpose you can tell that oh yes where if it, if it was a vent blowing or a fan blowing it changing making it change directions that's you could tell that too right yeah yeah that, that and that's the thing you have David, that, is that, classic. right i mean it, i mean most of the time you know if it's inside the house you know you can tell when the ac or the or the heater's on just by when it, you know, just by the speed of the the dust particles going past the camera. Now, if you're talking about like using a ring camera or like a um, a hunting camera, trail camera outside, you know, you've got bugs flying all over the place, and you know, you have to be wary of those because a lot of people will claim, oh, it's a fairy or it's something paranormal. No, it's a mosquito. You know, you've got dust flying around, so a lot of of those images, I would just debunk. Un- unless it's something that really jumps out of at me, I don't even really look give them that much credit. Right. Well, what is your thought on trail cams? Like, I have a trail cam that I was going to set up to video. Is that is that a good thing to use or no? Yes. Oh, I, 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 I trail cams are great to use. I've used them on investigations and and had it, you know, something in the room will trigger the sensor and they'll take a picture. Those are great for indoor use. What I'm referring to is people will put them outside in the woods and it will just record and you'll see these things zipping around, bugs, dust, moisture, whatever, and they think it's paranormal. Right. But if you're going to use one for indoors, you know, first of all, make sure the environment is somewhat clean. I usually tell people turn off the AC or turn off the heater, or if they can't do that, I just note on the time, and this is where time stamping will come into play, um, when the AC was kicked on. So if we capture an anomaly when the AC was on, then we can kind of debunk it saying, well, you know, there's a good chance it's because of, you know, dirty vents or something. Right. Right, that's really cool because I would have not ever thought to, like, do that. I would have never thought to, like, timestamp when the AC cuts on or 
Well, so and, that's, and that's the thing yeah. with with doing paranormal research is documentation. Yeah, it's tedious. Right. You know, who's going to sit there with yeah. the, you know waiting for the AC to come on? You you just got to have the right crew available to monitor that type of of, of settings. But right. what I tell people is when you get new equipment like cameras, video cameras, uh, GoPros, experiment with them. Go into a room that's dark and get like a rug that's been sitting on the floor and shake right. it in the air and take pictures. Know, know what your camera can and cannot do. Well, that so makes you can go sense. back and really told me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even yeah, with video cameras, you know, just just stand there in I the dark room with the. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I was I wanted to create some um, fake orbs and send them to David Flowers because you know whenever he talks about orbs, I'm laughing. But <laughs> I was gonna send I was gonna send some fake orbs, and I told I told Kimberly I was like I really don't know how to make orbs. You got any ideas? She's like. What you just said, she's like, yeah, go in the bathroom, shake out the rug, hold your flashlight. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, the, the thing with, with orbs, and this is just for photography right off the bat, okay? Most of the pictures are taken in low light to no light, so you're using a flash. The flash is very bright, and I forgot what it heats up to, but it comes close – uh, I forgot what the temperature is. It's like several, almost several thousand degrees within a millisecond. That is just pure white light. That light's going to travel straight out from the, the camera itself. And whatever it hits, it's going to reflect back into the focal point of the camera itself. And that's where the illusion of it's an orb comes in place. People say, well, look how big this orb is. Well, no, it, it looks big because... It's an optical illusion. It's, it's, it's like you know us fishermen when we catch a small fish and we kind of make it look bigger by bringing it closer to the camera lens. The exact same thing. Now I tell people one thing to look for in these photographs is if you see an orb in the photo and it has a little wiggly smile to it, that's pollen. That's that's pollen and dust. That that right there is. It is natural, and if they say, well, you know, it's, it's a different color, well, that's because the white light that's hitting it is being prismed off, and you'll see the rainbow of colors being reflected back. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. But you know what they have? All right, so with that said, with the different colors, what is your thoughts then on – you know how when you go to Google, they have the different color orbs. Do you believe in that? With that, or is no, that just no? That's 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 just that's just photography. That's the light bouncing off of of a either again some sort of anomaly in the atmosphere, a bug, a, a dust particle, moisture, and it's just the light being reflected back. It's just like after end of a thunderstorm, you have the white light from the sun hitting it. I think at twenty two degrees, and it brings it into a prism. That's the same thing what you're seeing with these color orbs. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense because I know I Googled it one time and I was like, oh, these have all different meanings, but that's no, just BS. No, 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 no. Okay. 
BS. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Now we know. <laughs> so, are there any other subjects we would like to talk about? Controversial, <laughs> <laughs> David Flowers, anything? Yeah. Uh, and I was just going to add what um, on what John was just saying. And that's why I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a photograph of a true orb because of everything John just said. It's if it's sitting still, you can't, you won't be able to tell if there's any intelligence to it. Right. That's why you, now, you have there- to see it either with your eyes or with the video. Now, there is some exception to that rule. I mean, I've gotten photographs where um, it's in what, what I would call an orb in action, where it's in, there's a movement, and you can see almost like a contrail behind it. And, okay. again, you know, it, it'll be like a solid white, and there's no reflection of light, and then it kind of leaves a trail that's somewhat transparent. And, it, and there is movement to it. Using that with photography, it has to be moving really darn fast to leave some sort of a trail of light, mm-hmm. especially if you're using a flash. And next time I see, I'll, I'll bring you. In fact, I'll send you some uh, photos to okay. to uh, to take a look at, so you can see what I'm referring to. Now, there's also things out there. Again, this is no, the reason why I tell people know your equipment. They'll say, hey, you know, I got a picture of a vortex. You know, look at these little orbs. You know, they look like a train action. Well, I tell people, I said, well, what you're looking at is really the nylon um, fibers of the camera strap that's dangling in front of the camera lens when you take a picture with a flash. Huh. Didn't know that. Yeah. And and you can get the same result of a blurry picture if you have again this is using flash. If you're taking the picture and your finger is somewhat extended in front of the flash and the camera lens, because the light's going to bounce off that finger, it's going to diffuse it a lot. It's almost pure white, so it'll be somewhat transparent around the edges. Huh. So again, you know, yep. So that's why I said in the past, you know, as an investigator, you have to be almost an an expert almost on everything: photography, uh, video photography, um, audios. You have to look at all the possibilities because you know it's your reputation on the line. Right. Right. You know, if if you're taking a picture and you're showing, hey, you know, this is, you know, an apparition. You can see the little, you know, like skin tone colors to it and you're swearing up and down it's it, it's a something paranormal when in reality it's your a finger you know you're not going to be taken mm-hmm. seriously right that's true that's why i run all my stuff through y'all before i um <coughs> if i before i post something i don't just i don't just put it out there and post it i run it through through people i know that are going to say well no that's not what that that's not what you think it is you know, um, before I even post up on Facebook. And, you know, and, and, and I have no problems. I, I have no problems posting something and, and say, hey, explain it to me. Just don't tell me, right. no, I don't believe you. It, it's, it's not what it is. Okay, then explain to me why you, you have that conclusion or that thought. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that, that's one and, of my and, and, that's one of my, my biggest pet peeves. There is someone says, "No, that's not paranormal." Just drops it. Okay, if you don't think it's paranormal, tell me why you don't think it's paranormal. Right. Other yeah. than other than the fact that you're not the one who captured it. Exactly. You know, I'm I'm open to you know criticism. You know, I'm a big boy. You know, I I've been yeah. proven wrong yeah. when when I thought I had something paranormal, and it's like, okay, it is what it is. As long yeah. as you if you explain to explain it to me with respect, and even if if you're kind of vague on your idea, if you can convey what you're thinking, I'll, I'll and I can understand it, I'll run with it. But just don't yeah. say, right. well, no, it, it's not because I said it is. Then yeah. I'm sorry, that's yeah. not right. good enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now I I can accept if you say I don't think it is, but I'm not sure what it is. I can even accept exactly. that. Right. Exactly. Right. I agree with y'all. Steve White said another subject is why do we have so many supposed haunted dolls with attachments? Twenty years ago, that were about two in today's times, and it seems like every dollar dubs is being haunted now. It's, so he's, it's, he's it's called. That question with you. It's it's dolls. called. Para entertainers. It's called let's make money off of something. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's like what Anita said a while back. You can take a group of people into McDonald's that's not haunted, okay? Tell them there was a, a murder or a body was found and they died in the back freezer, and half of the people in that group will believe that that's a true story, and they'll start manifesting, hey, you know what, there's an actual haunting. And and some of the stuff out there with these haunted dolls, you know, it's it's they're just doing it just because they can. Who's going to question it? Right. Exactly. Right. So that goes back to then what Steve was talking about um, with the, like the uh, – when – I can't. I'm looking for his stuff now. When he was talking about the how everybody um, goes into that the room with the with those thoughts of something paranormal, where they kind of like can manifest it, the poltergeist energies and the telekinesis. Okay. Well. Well. Okay. Let's let's uh, touch that one real quick. Okay. Telekinesis. Okay. There was an author about. Let's see. I'm in my 50s now. I met him when I was my late 20s, early 30s. So many moons ago. His name is Lloyd. I want to butcher his last name, so I do apologize. Archibuck. A U C H B A U C H. Um, he's a parapsychologist. He's out of, I think, out of maybe UCLA or Pasadena. Um, mm-hmm. A really great guy, and he talks about psychokinesis, telekinesis, um, PK, which, which is uh, psychokinesis also. And a lot of that is manifested by the mind. And it, it can that be means- induced. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like if someone's wishing really, really hard for the house to be haunted, they're sending out their own vibes. They're, they're doing PK and priming the environment and to the point where they – 
are actually making the haunting. There's nothing paranormal about it. It's just something that's psychological that they're perceiving as as um, something that's haunted or something that's paranormal. Okay, John, let, okay, John let me ask you this along that yes. same lines there. Um, you know the Ouija board and all that, how they, people put the energy in, they open up a portal and everything? Could that okay, telekinesis yep. be the same thing? Yeah. See, the, so, thing, the thing with with Ouija boards, <coughs> excuse me, is the Ouija board in of, of itself is harmless. It's just a board with A, B, C, E, F, G, alphabets, goodbye, hello, whatever. Okay. What the problem is is the intent. Either exactly. you're so intent on communicating that you manifest something out of your subconscious or that you actually manifest or, or invite a contact with something that's unknown from the other side. Right. So, And that's why I was asking, can telekinesis do that? I believe so, yes. Okay. I believe it can. Yeah. See, I've never looked at well, it. It's it, 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 a bad thing. I mean, it, I've never it's looked like at it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, people say, you know, oh, it's a poltergeist event, you know, things are moving about, you know. And, yes, poltergeist is German for noisy ghost. But there's been documentation that usually if there's a poltergeist event, you have to look at an agent. And usually that agent is an adolescent, teenage, or preteen girl that's going into puberty that's affecting the environment. It's usually when they get upset, when they're mad, things will happen, things will move in the house. Um, I don't remember or recall the name of the case in England that had the same situation, but they determined mm-hmm. that every time an event happened was when the daughter was in the room and when the daughter was upset or being reprimanded by the parents. Things will happen within half an hour to several hours, and they last for a while until that agent, the teenager, calms down. So when people are talking about, you know, we, we have a poltergeist, well, is it a spirit that's moving something, or is it a preteen or a teenager affecting the environment by PK, by psychokinesis? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it? I always knew women were trouble. <laughs> Jack said because um, we got about four minutes left, I think Jack wanted to. Jack asked, "What were y'all's thoughts on the Annabelle, on the Annabelle doll? What do you think about that? Is it an evil doll or is it misrepresentative? Misrepresent? You know what I'm trying to say? We got four minutes. Misrepresent. Left. Yes. Are, are, is it- is he talking about the movie Annabelle, or is he talking about the Ragni Ann doll that the Warrens have? He's, he's actually talking about the doll itself. Okay. I believe um, a, a spirit, and this is I'm coming from a medium point of view also, that a spirit can inhabit an object. And I think in this case, um, I think it's real. I've met Lorraine and Ward before they passed about 20 years ago, and I have no reason to believe that they would have made this into a hoax 
or be fortunate about it. Well, gosh, Jack, there's your answer. Here's your answer for that. I don't know. I didn't. I don't. Is the animal going? Well, he's already asked that one. I was trying to think. I don't see any more questions on here, but that was his biggest one. I had a creepy doll that had an attachment to it that I picked up at the thrift store. (laughs) But I smudged it, and it was okay after I did all that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of using any dolls on investigation just because with my luck, something would get attached to it. I'll bring it home, and it's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now I just I don't know why I went to the I went to this one antique shop in Williamsburg and I really just liked the doll. I out of all the dolls, it's my creepy doll I have at home. But I was just for some reason I was drawn to that doll and I don't know why. But it does have a history behind it with two sisters that you know played would play with the doll a lot and one of the sisters ended up passing away. She ended up dying, but you know it was. Um, it has to stay in the potato sack because I had like a potato sack dress because that's all they could afford at the time. And so when I bought the doll from the antique store in Williamsburg, I promised the guy that I would keep it in its original state, you know, that I wouldn't mess with anything because it was the original dress that the two sisters played with it on. So can't break promises or I'll have to pay out karmic debt. (laughs) Hopefully when I go to my hypnosis session here on the 30th, maybe that'll break some of this crap <laughs> so I don't have too much more karmic debt to pay off. That's all from past go. life. Though. Yeah, I know. You know, my past life people were very irresponsible and didn't care about anything, so now i got to pay for their karmic crap. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, but we got about <laughs> one minute left. You see how time flies? Well, the book, yeah, the book I was talking about by Lloyd is called Lloyd. It is called ESP Hauntings and Poltergeist, a parapsychologist handbook, which was made and put out in 1986. Well, can you can you like do you mind putting the title of that in the um? Yeah. Do you mind putting the title of that to the comments so I can remember? Yeah, I can definitely do that. I appreciate that. See, Jack White said thank you for that information. Thanks, John. That's what he said. Anytime. <laughs> so, um, let me see. Next week I've got David Spinks coming on my show. So that's going to be interesting because he opened up his new shop. I think it's in West Virginia. But anyway, it's going to be cool. I've got about 24 seconds left before Ryan kicks me off the air. So (laughs) I appreciate you guys attending my open mic night. Anytime. (laughs) And sharing. Instead of a round table, table, it's a triangle table. There you go. Yeah, I know, right? We'll We'll have to do the round table. I need John Stevens on, too, for that. That would be cool. So, yeah, I think you need right, at I'm least two hours. Ryan's, yeah, I'm cutting into Ryan's airtime, so I'm going to end my episode, but I appreciate you all coming on. <laughs> all righty. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right, bye.
Bye. This is Ryan, and welcome to the freaking awesome Orion Effect. Take a sip out of, of my tea here. I'm drinking Sleepy Time Tea because I've got this cough that is freaking killing me. I took a I took I got some cough. Well, actually, no. Angie's mom went out and got 
uh, through cough medicine yesterday from the Mechanicsville Drugstore. It's got, like, codeine in it. It's, like, hardcore shit. So I took some of that, drinking my tea out of my SOS of Virginia. Shout out to Sharon Milliken. Got her mug here, drinking my sleepy time tea with honey in it, hopefully. Hopefully I will not cough up a lung during the show. But this show is super important. Um, tonight is the 400th anniversary of an Indian massacre that took place in Virginia at Henricus, um, I'm going to say Henricus Park, at the city of Henricus in the surrounding areas. Um, it's a very significant event that not, not many people know about. So since tonight is the actual anniversary of the massacre, I wanted to do a special show. So I invited, I asked my friend Howie, Howie O'Dell, the host of the Around Effect and the director of the Rift Radio Network, if he wanted to come on with me tonight and uh, do like a joint effort, like a joint like network show, because it's like it's a really big deal. And he was nice enough to uh, say yes, and he will be coming on here shortly. And then I asked my friend uh, John Pagano to come on, and uh, he is the uh, I don't know if he's the historical director at Henrikus Park. But he is a historian at Herakis Park, and he um, he's an, also an author. He wrote a book about Pocahontas that's out, actually out at Herakis Park. If you want to go out there and grab a copy of it. Um, so, yeah, this is a, like a big deal, and uh, I'm super excited about this show. I'm going to go ahead and put Howie on, this, uh, Howie on right now, and uh, we'll get this thing started. Hey, what's up, brother? How are you? Howie. Hope it's Howie. Hello, it's John. John. Oh. oh. <laughs> um, how, how's it going? How's it going? Yeah. Did you want to get Howie first? No, no, it's fine. I I had the numbers mixed up. All right. That's fine. I I'll get into what Howie's number is. So Howie, can you press one, please, if you're on there? I can't keep track of people's phone numbers. There he is. All right. So now I'm I'm, I'm put him on. So see the cough medicine, the coding confidence is already going to my head. So sorry about that. All right, <laughs> now we can all get now we can all get get the party started here. All right, guys. All right, no more confusion. Oh, okay. Howie. <laughs> hey. All right. Good. All right. That's the way. We'll, oh, hell of a way to start the show, but we'll get this. We'll get. We'll get on the right track here. That's hey, don't feel bad. We tried to yeah. go live and we tried to piggyback off of the uh, off of yours, and yeah. um, Facebook came along and blocked the video because of the music. So we're on the air oh. with you. We're just not unfortunately live on Facebook. So we're here, Rift in the house with you guys, Rift Nation with the freaks. Whoop whoop. I tried doing Streamyard and it and it cut my mind off too. I didn't think about the music. That Facebook such yeah. a such a pain in the ass. I swear. It really is. All right. Well, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna try to just go live on my Facebook page. So before I get started with the um, with the uh, the actual meat of the show, I want to give both of you guys a chance to promote your 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 site, your network, and everything because I, I want to make sure we can have as much time to talk about the massacre 
throughout the rest of the show. So I'm going to start with oh, Howie. Yeah. Have you promote whatever you want to talk about, everything you do, and then we'll let John promote his book and Henrikus. Sounds good. All right. Um, real quick, I want to say hello to all of you freaks out there. For those of you that don't know who I am, I am the CEO and the program director for the Rift Radio Podcast Network on Blog Talk, same as this. Um, we, uh, have, at the present time, have four shows, and we got some amazing new shows coming in the spring um, calendar. Um, I can say a few of them offhand. One of them is going to be controversial, so I'm not going to bring that up yet. But we do have uh, Mysteries and Mayhem coming to the network. That's with two wonderful juggalettes. Uh, so Juggalo Nation is going to be represented. Uh, we also have a wonderful, um, actually governmental-type political show coming. It's the first time that I've ever decided to do this, but it's it's indecisive. It's not one way or the other. It's straight down the line. So we're looking forward to that. That's going to be with Jim Hurd. Um, also look for uh, Tra- uh, Christy Groins to return to air uh, in the spring with her show. Um, we're looking forward to that. That'll be back still in the same time slot she used to have. Uh, that'll be on Fridays. Uh, we also have one more show that's coming out that's going to be really interesting. Um along with the return of Jeff and Shelley Presley. Uh, that's changing of the guard. So we've got some old hosts returning. Um, while we have some new hosts, we're really excited about that. We've got events going May 29th on two locations at the same time. We'll be uh, airing from St. Albans Sanitarium, uh, while across the state, uh, other hosts of the Rift will actually be broadcasting as we sponsor the Sage Paracon over at Bell Grove Plantation Bed and Breakfast. So there you go. Quick hit. There you go. If you don't know me, find me. I'm not hard to find. It's always about the tick-tock of the clock. Well, there you go. How about you, John? Sure. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who know and or don't know, uh, there is a, a book that I just had uh, put into print. It is called The English Pocahontas, 1613 to 1617, 10 Essential Questions. And it is a very new and different look at the uh, four years that Pocahontas uh, would be considered uh, an English or a Christian woman uh, based off of the accounts of the English that uh, lived around her. So uh, it's our best documented uh, time for Pocahontas, and it's the one period we probably know the most about her. And even with that, we don't know too much. So uh, I, I called the book 10 Essential Questions. I could have put 20 things, but I limited it to 10. Uh, so if you're uh, wanting to do a, a quick reads on these uh, little chapters, um you know, it's the kind of book where you can pick one or two things at a time, read them, put it down, and come back later, and um, read some more. Um, and it's for sale in the Henrikus uh, gift shop. It is, I think, $9 a change. And um, if you are there and you are I'm there and you want me to sign it or anything like that, just uh, give me a holler and I'll do so. That's awesome. Yeah, we had we did a show with you uh, at the end of the year last year, 
talking about a Pocahontas, and it's uh, probably one of the more popular shows he's done. So awesome! Thank you. Yeah, anytime. So um, I was <coughs> reminiscing about one of the first times I actually hung out at Henrikus Park. I believe we all went there. I think like maybe Transcender or something had a program there. It was around around the same time of the massacre. It was a few years ago. It was me, Howie was there, Dennis, and we're all investigating at the park. And mm-hmm. uh we were we were inside Mount Melady Malady and uh we were doing a spirit box session. And during the spirit box session I swear I heard some what sounded like women and children screaming like they're like being attacked, you know? And it got so intense yep. that one of the girls that was with me had to walk out. So I, I followed her out. I'm like, did you hear what I heard? She was like, yeah. And she was really shook up about the whole situation. And uh, yeah, Chris, that's my earliest that memory of, of do what? That was Kristen Whitmer. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I forgot. I forgot who well, it was, but yeah, it was so like intense, and it's just and that's my earliest uh, recollection of the uh, massacre because I'd, I'd never heard of it until that that event we went to. Um, could you explain, John, the significance of the event and like what how it changed the course of the colony? Uh, yeah, I mean that's. That's pretty much uh, what's been on my brain for for quite some time now. Um, and, you know, the one thing with uh, this topic uh, that – hold on one second. I'm trying to grab some of my notes that I wanted to have with me when I was talking. And, uh, yeah, one second. Uh, chorus musing in the background. Sorry about that. Uh, well, you know, for most people who are un- unfamiliar – the uh, the marriage of Pocahontas to John Rolfe uh, allowed Powhatan to uh, steer the ship on an alliance with the English, which that was in 1614. And so they're at, at peace. Uh, and in the alliance, uh, the two cultures, uh, the Powhatans and the English from 1614, all the way to uh, you know the the winter of 1622, and the new leader of the Powhatan people, uh, however you wish to pronounce his name, is up to you. But I just say Opikankanu. Uh, Opikankanu uh, was not the was not the rightful authority of the Powhatan people. He took that power from Opichapam, who was uh, Powhatan's. Uh, brother who should have inherited the chiefdom. Uh, Opikankanu was the uh, epic war leader of the Powhatans, but uh, a Pamunkey uh, tribal leader, but he was a powerful figure, and because of his reputation, um, pretty much just took control of the Powhatan chiefdom. And when he does that in 1618, he can't just end an alliance created by all these people with Powhatan. So uh, we're not sure what gave him the justification to uh, launch an attack against the English by Powhatan uh, law and standards, but 
Um, there's a couple of theories, a couple of ideas of uh, how we would have uh, uh, gotten the, we'll call it the, the, the rightfulness to do it. Uh, but on March 22nd, 1622, you know, he's launching presumably, you know, several hundred, a thousand, whatever count you want to call warriors against approximately 35 English settlements from what is now modern day uh, near Richmond to modern day uh, Newport News. Uh, and they're all launching that attack on the same day. And by the end of that day, 347 men, women, and children are killed, which was about somewhere between 25 to uh, near 30% of the population of Virginia. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the background of it all. Um, again, there's, there's a, a lot of many topics in this discussion. It's fascinating. Again, what allowed him to do that, make that decision to uh, break an alliance with the English and uh, devastate them so much. But the other question is, what did the English do that uh, precipitated him launching those attacks? Uh, and then in the end, if that was such a bloody encounter, um, how come the English, after several decades, just did not eradicate the Powhatan people? Um, and that's another, that's another fascinating question. Uh, it's not like that wasn't done in, in our history after this, but you can go into many different angles. Um, so I think for the discussion, you know, I think if, if people were to have questions about this, uh, I've heard probably most of them over the years, but uh, the big first question that people ask is, why would he end an alliance that everybody seemed to be happy with? That's a big one. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, people defer to me for an answer, and I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. So I don't know if I have a real answer, but the, the best one that I can give is that the other, the other people who were arranging that alliance were all basically dead. Um, remember in 1622, there really isn't anybody alive anymore. Uh, Pocahontas, she died in England in 1617. Uh, her mentor, Reverend Whitaker, he drowned in the James River in 1617. Palatine mm-hmm. dies in 1618. Sir Thomas Dale, who um, was the English arranger of this, he, he's dead off the coast of India in 1619. And the only one that really is around is this guy, John Rolfe. And strangely, John Rolfe uh, signs his will uh, on uh, two weeks before the attack. And strangely enough, in the aftermath of the attack, John Rolfe literally vanishes from public record. He is never found on the dead. He is never found on the living. He is never heard from in England. He has two different families scattered about uh, two continents, and the man has no public record after he signs his will. And so people say, was it John Rolfe's will signing that Opie Cancanu found out about 
And if John Rolfe is dying and he's out of the picture, then there might be no um, bond that Opie Kankanu has to respect when it came to the alliance. So we've got to open door. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. So that's, you know, that's not, that's probably one angle on it. And, uh, you know, then, you know, people, the logical question is people ask, well, what gave Opie Kankanu cause to do the attack? And that's another different subject. Um, and that's a fun one. And um, so I'll, I'll give you the, the, the three or four basic things that um, – I kind of put out there and it's, it's probably going to go into my um, one of my next books. that's going to be out. And here's the four basic reasons. Um, imagine you're Opie Ken canoe and you are this ferocious, you know, rep- reputed uh, war leader, Powhatan. Uh, and the original Powhatan Pocahontas father when he allowed Pocahontas and Rolf to be married, the logical presumption is that he wanted the English to be brought in by marriage into his society. So it's a step towards accepting the English in Virginia. We don't want Mm -hmm. you to leave. We just want you to cooperate within our domain. And, okay, he's gone in 1618, right? So what, what happens in 1619, like he's fresh in the grave, Powhatan's gone, fresh in the grave, and here's the English setting up a legislative assembly at Jamestown that creates a permanent English government in Virginia. So just imagine you're the new Powhatan leader, Opie Canoe. And here's the English setting up their own form of government in your domain. So what happens right after that is there is a charter um, for this college that's going to be built in Virginia. And that college is funded and designed for Powhatan children to receive a Christian education and baptism and conversion to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's all happening 1618 into 1619. So now what you have is an English government that is making it known that the English plan to control the environment, their domain. Now the English want to bring Powhatan children and change the way they worship. Phase is going to be, well, if we're going to have a permanent colony, we got to have the men stay here. And that means we got to have wives and that, that's going to bring over 400 uh, contracted brides, the tobacco contract brides uh, of Virginia. And these women all start taking husbands and having children. And, of course, in a, a short-to-be generation, how much land will those children also need here in Virginia? Mm-hmm. And so then the last step probably in this is the death of another prominent Powhatan war leader by the name of Nimactanil, um, nicknamed Jack of the Feathers by the English, because he wore 
um, swan feathers over uh, his entire body when he's in battle. Um, now, this guy, Jack of the Feathers, was doing what a lot of Palatins were doing in 1621 into 1622. He was uh, working and exchanging and trading with various English uh, planters. And in one situation, one of the planters, this guy named Morgan, uh, wound up being killed at his plantation. And uh, several weeks later, uh, here comes Jack of the Feathers wearing the dead man's hat, cap on his head. And the English who were friends with Morgan recognized that cap and took him into custody and they executed him. And uh, Jack of the Feathers um, had two bedtime, uh, you know, death uh, final wishes. And the English wrote him down. He said that because he had told his people the English could never kill him, to promise to never tell his people that the English actually killed him. And then the second one was to ne not give him a Christian burial, but to allow him to be buried in a Powhatan method. Um, and the reason why that's probably significant, though, is because uh, the English and the Powhatans kind of had uh, an informal, sometimes official system that if somebody from the other's culture commits a grave act against the other, that they had to contact the other culture to see what form of um, uh, crime and punishment would take place. Uh, I, the English in this situation just summarily executed Jack of the Feathers. Uh, that could have been a final straw for... Um, Opie can canoe. Uh, we're mm -hmm. not sure, but possibly. So those are probably the four things that made Opie can canoe feel like um, this is getting too big. You know, the legislative assembly, uh, the women coming here and having children, and then the uh, college for Powhatan children to be converted, and then uh, this ill-mannered death of this prominent Powhatan war leader. Hmm. So, I don't know if you guys have any questions about that. I throw a lot at people sometimes. Sorry about if I threw too much at you guys. No, you're um, fine. No, no, no. It, it makes perfect sense. If you look at the order of events on how it takes place, it would lead up just to that. I do have one question for you, though, John, if I may. Yeah. Um, with all the tribes in Virginia, per se, and the tensions going on, there was tensions between other types of tribes during that time, not just with the English. At that time, are we aware if there was any uh, conflicts with the, the Powhatan, with the Blackfoot that were moving into Virginia as well? Do we know anything about that conflict? Well, the English often write down that Powhatan had set up a pretty good uh, buffer around his chiefdom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the the Potawomac, uh to the north, which were, were the tribes pretty much from oh, above Quantico to Washington, D.C. today, um, they acted almost as a neutral party uh, to the Powhatans, but they were still kind of, I guess, cousins to the Powhatans. But yet, 
they seem to operate very Switzerland-like with uh, Powhatan. Uh, Powhatan yeah. then had a buffer um, of water to his east, to his east, right? So um, mm-hmm. a lot of the tribes that are around the Chesapeake sometimes fall into the same thing as the Potawomax with him. But there is some English writings that there was some uh, tribes on the other side of the water, what we might call the Eastern Shore, maybe some other places up that way, that sometimes would get into conflict with the Palatins. Uh, but the biggest, the biggest enemy, because there's, um, there's quite a buffer to the south between the James River and what we'll know as North Carolina, right? There's a pretty big buffer there. But the uh-huh. Monacans to the west, that's the interesting one, right? Because the Monacans are a pretty big, um, you know, uh, empire to themselves. And because they're in, you know, what's now west of Richmond into really like the Shenandoah, uh, they mm-hmm. are going to probably be encountering tribes coming down from every different region, right? From the south, um, from, you know, later what we'll associate is the, the the expansion of the Cherokee, right? Um, You know, you have uh, tribes that are trading between what is now the Shenandoah and the Great Lakes. And you have all of that movement taking place. And uh, Powhatan doesn't have, he doesn't have uh, access to that connection, but the Monacans do. Um, So the Monacans and the and, and Powhatan, those are usually the ones that, um, if you're the English, you're kind of mentioning. Um, and in fact, when Powhatan dies and there's an alliance with the English, um, I'm a pretty be- big believer that he wanted to secure an alliance with the English because there were some things going on on the native side that could lead us to believe that maybe there were some vacuums in power and landscape where these ever um, uh, settling and resettling and moving of uh, tribal uh, boundaries, if you want to call them that, uh, might have threatened Powhatan, and he probably wanted the English at that time as an ally and not an enemy in case things did go down. Exactly. So that's thank you. That's what I was trying to gather. I mean, there's there's not only tension with the English, but there's tension with all these other tribes and and now you're adding this now the one person who kept kind of a glue going okay i i make with you and i make with you is no longer there so here's that here's that uh i hate to use this but i'm going to here's the smoking gun you you have that pulled away you have a palatans who are totally stressing out and now they see the English doing exactly what these others are doing and coming in and taking their land. That would, that would be an ultimate trigger for me if I was a leader back then. Yeah, well, and I, we were talking about this today at work. You know, um, the times that the, the Powhatans, and specifically Opie Kankanoo, that they mostly were inviting this co- uh, collaboration with the English is when the English were governed by warrior uh, leaders. And Mm -hmm. if you look at Opie Kankanoo uh, and who his best friends were amongst the English, it gives you an idea um, 
what might have been the issue. So Opie Kankanu's best friend with the English was John Smith. And, you know, John Smith has this uh, wonderful uh, account of him kind of uh, uh, with Opie Kankanu. I, I, love, I, I love what he wrote. He said in one of his uh, 1608 reunions with Opie Kankanu, he said, Opie Kankanu, his wife, children, came to meet me with a natural kind of affection. He seemed rejoiced to see me. Uh, and that was in 1608. Uh, if you go forward after Smith leaves Virginia, uh, Sir Thomas Dale is writing that him and Opie Kankanu were best friends. And Dale wrote, Opie Kankanu desired that I may call him friend and that I may call him so, saying he was mm-hmm. a great captain and did always fight that I was also a great captain, and therefore he loved me. Uh, so so it, it seems obvious that as long as the English were a military force to be reckoned with, uh, with military warrior culture minds like Smith and Dale, that Opie Kankanu found that almost um, – um, uh, an English mirror to his own. Like um, it's, when, right. it's when the English started to change it to a, a regular English civic society. I think Opie Kankanu got the taste in his mouth that it's starting to get weird. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, so the next the next friend that is mentioned is this guy George Thorpe who is the opposite of Smith and Dale. (laughs) And, you know, uh, George Thorpe is uh, this academic from Oxford, you know, uh, from a very well-to-do family in England. And uh, he, he becomes the deputy of the, the college lands. He's also the head of uh, the Berkeley plantation. And Uh, so Thorpe, he's going to basically, um, he is going to reach out, and here's the other fun fun part of this that you guys would appreciate, is George Thorpe is uh, a relation to Sir Thomas Dale. Um, in fact, Berkeley Plantation is set up and established uh, by Sir Thomas Dale's wife's uh, family, uh, including... Uh, this guy named Throckmorton, who's Dale's uh, brother-in-law. Uh, Thorpe is married to uh, one of Dale's relations, and it goes on. And the thing is, I think, and I could be wrong on this, that before Dale left for India, it se- I, I, I think Dale met with the guys who were going to set up at Berkeley. And mm-hmm. he basically told them, hey, look, you guys are my family. I'm going to give you some advice when you go to Virginia. If you want things to be nice and settled there, make your, make your way to the, the leader um, and make sure you keep your enemy close to you. Um, and George Thorpe, that's exactly what he did. Um, the college lands, of course, are a school for Indian children. And what right. did Thorpe do? He builds a house 
Um, basically, a nice cottage for Opie Cancanoe to visit the English, built him a house, and Opie Cancanoe comes and stays these lengths of times in his English house. And it's through this period that Powhatan people are living with the English, working with the English, trading with the English, visiting with the English. Everybody is basically interwoven by 1621 going into 1622, and there's no secret. There's no secrets where the weapons are. There's no secrets where the forts are. There's no secrets where the population is. Um, And up until two weeks before the attack, George Thorpe um, feels that there's no way that the Palatins will attack the English because his friend Opie Cancanoe has constantly reassured him that there is a peace and that it will never be ended. Right. So, so Opie Cancanoe gets the um, the actor of the the decade award. Right. Yeah. Right. It, but you but you got to think about it. That's a brilliant military strategy. That is, of course, where, where he is now throwing off his enemies. Um, insight and intuition going, no, no, everything is fine. Don't worry. While the eyes of March are reaching down on you, you got to stab you in the back. You know, it's, it's, it is a very brilliant point if you already have it pre-planned. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the thing that with all the amount of Indians that are around, uh, how easily this could have been – uh, flawed and, and failed uh, for him to keep it under wraps. And the other thing, too, is my, my coworkers and I, we were talking about this today, there's no way he could have moved his warriors out into a ready position to attack uh, these huge war parties moving through the woods. Uh, any foraging English colonists would have, would have noticed and detected those groups. So, right. So what they had to do is literally the morning of the attack, move into position, and most of the war parties to get from their main towns to these settlements uh, would have to haul 30 to 40 miles uh, and then fight these battles uh, that day and then move back into wherever their holding positions were. And to think about the coordination that it would take in a, in a period where the Indians here have no horses, they have no nothing beyond their feet and canoes to actually uh, coordinate a front 75 miles across, hitting 35 different settlements all in the same morning. Exactly. That's crazy. That's, wow. Yeah, and that's what I mean, they, just, they did. They hit, uh, they hit approximately 35 forts. Uh, there's only about for four fortified towns at that time, the rest were mostly just uh, house or um, uh, cluster communities, but uh, roughly 35 of them are hit that day. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, wow. it's funny that when you, when you talk to people who study Native history, you know, they'll, you know, they'll hear, they'll remember the names, uh, you know, Tecumseh, uh, Crazy Horse, uh, Geronimo, but for some reason, you know, Opie Cancanoe does not make it onto the list for some reason. 
Um, and I can't, I can't imagine why he's not. The guy does this attack, and he, he literally calls the British uh, bluff on everything because basically, and you know, one of the points I've had to make recently with this topic is that it was a bloody day, but right. it wasn't, it could have been bloodier. And even though it's considered a massacre, Opie Cancanu's guys could have done worse, but I'm pretty certain they were under orders to pull off at the end of that day. And it's, it's, it, with very few exceptions, like Alice Proctor's situation, uh, there is a sense that they did their job that day, and people go, well, what, what job was it? And my answer is, Opie Kankin is not trying to wipe out the English. He's trying to send them a message. It's not even a message that he wants them to leave. The message right. is that yeah. he wants them to understand who's in charge. And if you get out of line again, I'm going to do this again until you understand who's the boss in Virginia. Right. Now, could you talk about, like, the actual day of the of the attack from the English point of view? Like, like kind of put people into the perspective of the colonists, like what in their point of view? Well, all right, so if you are 99% of the settlements, you had no warning of this attack. Now, some of the uh, veteran colonists, the ones that were maybe more communicative with the other leaders, you might have heard that there was some stirrings going on weeks before the attack. Um, but nothing definitive. And the question is, are you, if you're a veteran of 1610 and you were here fighting the Indians, did you, would you ever let your guard fully down? And that's a, that's a question. Um, 75% of the colonists at that time were people who arrived after Sir Thomas Dale came to Virginia. Um, so these are mostly people who had never been at warfare with the Indians. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a report done a few months after the attack in England, and between that report by uh, Edward Waterhouse was the name of the report, and then John Smith wrote some good stuff on it too, and then there's this other uh, Englishman, Nathaniel Butler, who had a, a, some commentary on it, but when March 22nd arose, there was only one place that fully was warned, and that was Jamestown and the settlement across from Jamestown. And they were warned because one of the Powhatan warriors, who had been a longstanding friend with the English, uh, came the, the evening before and told them, hey, this shit's happening. It's coming. And Governor Wyatt at Jamestown, of course, put the fort on alert. So they were ready when the attacks came the next morning. Um, right. there's, no, there's no evidence that anyone else in the region got the same word that they did. Um, so the normal experience for uh, what occurred was that the English woke up March you know, Friday, 
March 22nd. And in a few dozen of the settlements, you had uh, Powhatan Indians working as uh, laborers uh, with the English. Um, there's some evidence that they were doing this to basically work for some trade goods or anything the English wanted to give them. Uh, some were some were friends. You had that. Um, and then other Powhatans would routinely, of course, bring um, animals to uh, give the English for food and, you know, whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the account goes on to describe that these Powhatans simply had breakfast at many of the English tables and then at a, a given signal uh, simply moved around the, the homes, picked up anything they could use as weapons, and started killing the families. Right. So what you have is uh, the two-pronged attack of Opie Kankanoo. Mm-hmm. You have the, the covert operation is the embedded uh, Powhatans living and working amongst the English. Right, that's your and, recon. And while that is going on, and while that is probably kicking off, that gives the whole morning for the war parties to maneuver into place to attack the bigger installations like Martin's Hundred uh, or Flower Dew or anything, those places that are bigger and stronger, Bermuda City, um, <clears throat> or, or range about the area and not have to worry because the fighting had begun. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is it really limits the amount of people that can run away and get to others to let them know the attacks are starting if you're yes. right next to them and you're killing them. <laughs> It's yeah. a beautiful task, and it really is, because you have these individuals that are living amongst uh, the colonists, and then with that, they're pulling their attention away and preparing at the same time while they allow um, their troops, you know, their warriors, to encompass these locations. So they're keeping, A, recon, B, preparation for instance, an internal attack, and C, keeping the attention away, intel, from the outside to put in position. It's actually quite very militarily speaking brilliant. Oh, it is. It is. That's why when years ago at, at my site, I, I steered around. I didn't, want, I, I didn't want to just call the day a massacre. Um, and I shifted the, the nomenclature, the, the wording, so that we call it Opie Cancanoo's military offensive because that's that's what it was um and what's what's interesting i i bring up some parallels to people who study military history or you know they're a little more familiar with other topics and one of the 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 ways i do it is i simply say how many of you have heard of december 7th 1941 and everyone's Mm -hmm. like oh i know that one yeah i'm like okay well Several of the key um, uh, war college planners in Japan, uh, including leaders of the military and certainly the, the Imperial Navy, well, you know where they went to school, right? And where they, they, they went to American colleges, and then they studied side by side with American military officials. Exactly. Um, and, and, of course, 
if you looked at people, there's a few of those uh, Japanese general, uh, general admirals who basically considered some of the Americans their friends. Mm-hmm. And here they are. They're under orders that they get to attack Pearl Harbor. And despite the fact that they considered several of the American admiral's friends, they're attacking them. <laughs> you know, I, and the one, it, the one thing I always bring up is I'm pretty confident that um, several of these Palatins that were amongst the English probably legitimately became friends with the English. Um, yeah. But but it, when, when it comes time to go, to fight for the fatherland, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. they're going to do what they have to do. Yeah, loyalty speaks volumes. Right. Yeah. And one of the uh, one of the things that comes up is this guy George Thorpe, who it, it's not mistaken that Opie Kankanoo did hang out with this guy a lot, and and Thorpe, to his dying breath, was probably saying Opie Kankanoo is my best friend. Well, if you read uh, John Smith's account, also the Edward Waterhouse report in England, um, not only was George Thorpe killed that day he was really killed that day like really <laughs> killed um several several times over um and i you know and i remember discussing this with people where they were asking well why were they so bad on on thorpe and i said well if you're if you're op can canoe and you're with your uh, war party leaders your tribal war leaders and you're saying, hey, look, we got to do this. I know it's not going to be what you're normally doing, killing women and children and non-combatants, but we got to do this. And you're going to have to do mm-hmm. some pretty ugly things. Um, and there's probably some of those tribal war leaders who probably looked at Opie Kankanoo and said, hey, dude, you're hanging out with this Englishman, this guy Thorpe all the time, and all chummy-chummy with mm-hmm. him. Right. And I bet you Opie Kankanoo – is the one that had to make a statement by not only killing Thorpe, but really messing up his corpse. Well, the other part of that is, too, he had to prove to the other tribal leaders, if you will, that, you know, it's not just the English. I'm in command. This is me. Um, This is what we're going to do to gain more respect, gain that loyalty even more. So why wouldn't he? That another tactic. I'm going to prove yeah. by violence that I defend and I am a part of this. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. What? You know, when you were talking about, um, you know, where does Opie Kankanu see the the uh, you know the bat the we'll call it the future of his people in battle, right? I I always bring it back to um, other historical moments, and I, I always love using uh, World War II. Uh, either Germany or Japan, but if you look at Opie Kankanu's warriors, right? I, I always look at, I, I like statistical analysis and numbers. Um, in 1607, when the English arrived, Opie Kankanu's, you know, there's thousands of Palatin warriors. Well, in mm-hmm. 1622, um, you're looking at, you know, 14, um, you know, plus years later, and your average Palatine warrior who's uh, 20 years old is now hitting middle age. Right. And 
Opie Kankanu's now got a young crop of new warriors who have never been in battle before. And if he mm-hmm. wants his, his people with the young cluster of new warriors to be ready for any outsiders, Spanish, Monacan, English, whatever, you've got to get them, have their confidence built, and that way whatever's coming down the pike, that new culture of warriors is ready. And I think that was another yeah. part of this episode. Yeah. I mean, these guys hadn't fought a battle in several years. Right. So, so I think that um, Opie Kankanu probably was like, you know what? I have two clusters of warriors. Um, I have two types of operations, covert and overt. Um, and I've got several different targets. I got some hard targets and I got some soft targets. This is an opportunity for me to get all of my people's warriors um, up to speed, see what they can do, and then we'll pull back and wait for the English response. And that's exactly what happened. English yeah. are going to approach him not too long in the future and be like, all right, what are we going to do? Um, in one of those meetings, uh, the English are legit. You know, they're let's go talk it out. Let's see what we can do. And then another one of the meetings, um, this guy, Dr. Potts, and some of the delegation of the English are meeting with some of these Indian leaders, and they offer drinks, and they poison the Indian leaders. And mm-hmm. uh, the only thing is they thought Opie Kankanu was one of them, and he wasn't. And they went back and told everybody, we killed Opie Kankanu. And Opie Kankanu is sitting somewhere else in the, you know, in the, the countryside laughing because here's the English, and they dead. killed him. Yeah, they didn't. So, and he'll stay around until uh, the 1640s when he launches his third war and another war against the English. And it won't be until after 1644 that they finally capture him. Wow. I mean, think, think about how long Bin Laden, you know, looped. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know. And here's the pretty can canoe, enemy number one. And uh, and it's funny because after Opie Kankanu is captured and he's killed in English custody, um, the Powhatans and the English, just like a switch, you kind of start getting along again. Mm-hmm. So we're we're coming close to the end of the show, and I kind of want to get your opinion on why this event has not been more is not more widely known. Uh, and not taught more in history class because it seemed like something that played a significant role in the birth of the nation. <laughs> exactly. That's you stole my question. Hey, we're on the same side. I'm, I'm with there we go. on that one. It's interesting with um, the, the legacy of this. Um, remember there's two, there's two colonies at, at this time. There's Virginia and then there is Plymouth and there's Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. The second that this attack is over, there is a uh, ship loaded with survivors uh, called the Sea Flower. And the Sea Flower will go up past Massachusetts and spread the alarm before it gets to England, um, spreading the alarm to everybody. And, of course, the people in Massachusetts were doing okay. And here they are being told by the Virginians 
hey, um, if you're ever in a peace with the Indians, you can't trust them. So right. start this idea that you cannot trust the Indians, even if you're in an alliance. So that really starts a bad trend. And it takes a long time for the English in Virginia to, again, patch it up with the Palatines. It does take decades. Um, but that, that sentiment will go on through American history. Um, yeah. You know, and as far as it not being taught, well, it was almost a state holiday, you know, uh, more than a century ago. And I, I, you know, the only thing I could think of uh, why it's not as widely known is because how, how do you possibly uh, teach uh, a day where uh, over 80 – women and children are killed. There's um, uh, 28 children that are killed that day. And uh, almost, I I think I did a statistic that 70% of them were between the ages of one and three. Um, God. So, you know, the thing that it's hard is that you, you want to look at the, the Powhatan perspective and say, I, you know, we understand the English, the English were probably going too fast, too big uh, for what they should have done at that time. But then the other side is it's hard to look at one other side when you see just all the, the children that were killed. Um, this is, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. We've got about a minute left to go, and uh, I, want, I don't want anybody, anybody to cut off. Um, mid-sentence, because that hasn't happened before during the show. Um, but I definitely want to take the time to thank both of you guys for coming on this show and uh, talking about this uh, historical event. And uh, I definitely appreciate you guys, you guys' time. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I appreciate you uh, having us a part of this. It was just a uh, – joint effort and john it's good to talk to you once again um i think the last time i saw you was two years ago i was with my girlfriend um yeah it's always a pleasure to be around you john because you're so full of knowledge and you're such a an, an inspiration when it comes to history i'll say that um i you know there's so many more questions there's so many things more things to ask and talk about i wish we had more time for that well i need to go to the record sometime and investigate here soon you guys are you guys are welcome, man. No doubt. And All right. Have a 